scripture reading this morning will be taken from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. It's Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21. If you're following along in the uh, Bible in the pew back in front of you, that's page 1002 and 1003. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was, who was to come. But the, three, the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. But the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by the one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as through one man's offense judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that, entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Good morning. It is good to be with you this morning. If you're a guest this morning, we want to welcome you. It's good for all of us to be together. We love coming together and worshiping God, and we always love it when guests come and are part of that also. We've had a wonderful past week on our campaign, as already mentioned a few times this morning in prayers, and uh, we're thankful for the opportunity that we had to go. We're thankful that we have a congregation that supports in a very generous way the work of spreading God's message of his son all around the world. We're thankful that we have so many that are willing to go. I think about Martin so capably reading the scripture there. Uh, his wife went, which meant he took care of four young children all week. And uh, it reminds us of the fact that many go and then many stay back and keep the homes going and keep the work here locally going. And I'm also reminded and thankful uh, and speak on behalf of the team in gratitude for all of you who prayed. Uh, we know that there were prayers offered literally 24 hours a day, every hour that we were away, and God answered your prayers. And uh, we are thankful uh, for that and thankful for the spiritual results of our own spiritual growth as we had this opportunity, but also hopefully for the growth among so many that were part of the team from congregations all throughout the U.S. and throughout Latin America, and then especially for that one congregation that we worked with in St. Augustine there 
and the 12 baptisms and the seven restorations. We're thankful for all of that and to God be the glory. But to each one here that's a part of this congregation, you had a very important role in that and we're thankful uh, for everybody's work in that. Contrast. I remember a while back reading a story about a taxi cab driver that whenever he would pull up to pick someone up, he would come around and literally open the door for them. He was driving what appeared to be an ordinary taxi. But he would open the door for them, and as they stepped in, he'd hand them a daily newspaper. And then before he closed the door, he'd say, you can look there at the CDs and tell me what kind of music you'd like to listen to on the ride. One particular fellow says that I sat down in there, and as he went back around to the driver's seat, I started looking around for like a candid camera or something. He said, this couldn't be real. And he said, I told the fellow what kind of music I liked, and he put it in. And, and then he, I said, hey, you, you really take your job serious, don't you? He said, yes, I used to be in corporate America, but you know, they tell you the way to do everything, and I didn't want to do life that average way. And he said, so I thought, what can I do that I can really excel at? He said, this may sound strange, but I love to drive. I thought I could excel at driving a cab. He said, so I decided I was just going to get a cab and be the very best cab driver I could possibly be. He said, so then I thought if I was sitting in a cab, what would I want someone to offer me? I'd like a daily paper. I'd like to listen to my own music. He said, now people have my cell phone all over this town, and they call me regularly. I'm the regular taxi cab driver. That was corporate America's loss, and that was a gain to travelers passing through his town. You see, there's quite a contrast between good and best. Contrast. We all understand what that means. The sharpest contrast that's ever been was the contrast between condemnation and justification. The sharpest contrast that's ever been is the contrast between offense and grace, between death and life. The passage that was just read, some scholars say, contains some of the hardest verses in all of the Bible to understand. This morning, I hope that we can at least pull out the message that Paul is trying to give us. And even though he gives some very beautiful teachings in here and some of the phrases are a little bit difficult, I suggest to you that the overall message of the contrast where Paul is trying to get us to see Christ who reigns and wants to give us a life where life can reign instead of death reigning in our life, Here we are in in the midst of a study of shepherding. And this morning in your Bible classes, you're going to talk about the Christ, the shepherd, and his authority. And I want you to see from Paul's writing here of what kind of authority, what kind of power, what kind of reign, not only he has, but what he offers in our life. If you will, I'd like to begin with, with just a statement that really is not as much about the lesson today But because there's so much misunderstanding about this passage, I think this might help uh, some of us. When you see individuals, and perhaps you are one of those individuals that was baptized and it's really sprinkling or pouring water over a baby. So why, why does a baby need that? Well, they believe, their doctrine teaches that they have inherited Adam's sin. It's original sin. And many that teach that love to use this passage. What they do is they pull verses out of context without beginning where Paul began. 
And so by emphasis and for emphasis sake to this that we're not misled today as we study, I want to remind you again, and I don't have a, a slide for this one, but if you have your Bible open, look there in verse 12. It was one that we, our text began here this morning. Look at verse 12, and this is the introduction that Paul gives that from here everything that he's going to say about Adam and Adam's sin and, and Christ and Christ's reign, it's out of verse 12. Therefore, just as through one man... Sin entered the world, and death through sin. And thus, death spread to all men. Why? Because of Adam's sin. That's not what it says. It spread to all men because all sinned. You see, the premise that, that this rest of this paragraph is built upon is that if we go all the way back in time and we say, when did sin first come? Oh, somebody says, when Noah built the ark. Remember that? That's where sin was first introduced. No, it wasn't. Maybe it was Israel and Judah. Remember, they finally became so sinful, God stopped protecting them. No, that wasn't the beginning of sin. You know the answer to this. If we want to go back and study when, when was the beginning of sin, we have to go back to Adam. Adam and Eve were the ones that introduced man the human race, to sin. How long did sin have to be active for it to be wrong the first time? And so verse 12 is laying out the table to say, let's look at the beginning of sin. Let's look how it was wrong immediately. And now, is there anything that we can do? Because what we find out is every man and woman find themselves as sinners and they find themselves receiving the condemnation that comes with sin. And so now, coming back into our study this morning, our answer is the shepherd the shepherd that can reign in our life, the shepherd who is powerful, the shepherd who has authority, and a shepherd when we truly understand all that he offers us, never in a good mind and an honest heart would we walk away from him. So let's think about the effectiveness of, sin, of the shepherd, of his righteousness, but also even of sin. Look at verse 15, and we're thinking about contrast. I'd like for you know, you know that I've put these parentheses in the reading of verse 15 here. I just want you to see two times in one verse he offers us contrast. The first is real simple and short. But the free gift, now what's the contrast to that free gift? Is not like the offense. You see, there's not two different times here he's going to tell us, look, one thing is not like the other. You might remember that game from Sesame Street, if you remember that. You know, something's not like the other. Well, here's something. The free gift is not like the offense. There's a big contrast. There's a big difference. And then notice as we read on again here in 15, he says, But if by the one man's offense many died, here's the contrast, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to so many. What's the contrast here? Offense, mentioned twice. Gift or grace, mentioned four times. So what he's saying clearly is, I want to show you what it is to live guilty of your offenses. But now I want to show you how you don't have to. You can live with a sharp contrast abounding in grace. And to emphasize grace or gift, he uses that four times to only two times of offenses. In other words, it is clear Paul is saying, I'm going to write to you about sin and about grace, but what the emphasis is going to be here is look how much greater grace is. That's the emphasis of this paragraph. And so it's a beautiful study to say, look at the reign of our shepherd, Jesus Christ, the authority and what he offers us. 
Look with me, if you will, to verse 16. And I'd like for you to notice here, as he still uses this contrast and speaks about the results of each of the two. Notice again in 16, And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation. So we have Adam sinned, and the very first time Adam and Eve sinned, the result was condemnation, separated from God. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, sin separates us from God. Before they walked right with God, before they lived in God's garden, God's house on earth that he had prepared for them. But what happened when they sinned? Sin separated them from their God. They had to leave the house that God prepared for them. And so here, one man sins, and what happened? Condemnation. That's the effect of sin. We must realize the effect of sin. I don't have a slide for this, but I want to read to you. It's close to the end of the Bible, Revelation, the 21st chapter. In Revelation, the 21st chapter, it's the very last verse in 27. And I'd like for you to see the effect of sin that's mentioned here in Revelation 21 and 27. But there, Revelation 21, 27. I love to hear the pages turn. But there shall by no means enter... By the way, this is talking about heaven. This is who or what will not enter heaven. But there shall by no means enter it anything that defiles. In other words, no sin is going to enter into heaven or causes an abomination or a lie. But only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. God, can you help us understand? You know how feeble-minded we are. We can only learn it if, if, if you reveal it to us. God, help us to understand. What is the effect of sin? And he says, listen, sin separates you from me, not only from this earth, but for an eternity. Because God says, I can't fellowship anything that defiles. Sin defiles. God is holy. You be holy as I'm holy, God says. And so God says... As much as I love you, if you are still guilty of your sin, I can't embrace you. I can't hold you. Nothing, no one that is a sinner can enter into heaven. Now pause there. If you're a guest here this morning, you've got to listen to this whole sermon. We are all sinners. But there's something powerful that happens by the grace of God so that he doesn't see our sin in the past. And so when God looks at us, and we'll get to this for just a moment, in just a few more moments, but the idea is God embraces us because he doesn't see our past sins. And so God says, who do I welcome into heaven? I won't welcome anything or anyone who is defiled. How did you get your name on the Lamb's book of life? It was only by the grace of God. It was only by the blood of Jesus Christ. Anyone who has their name in the Lamb's book of life, he says, I can hold them. I can hold them on this earth. I can hold them for an eternity. So we see, what is the effect of sin? Look there in 16. We see it resulted in condemnation. The idea of condemnation is to be separated from God for, for, forever. And, but notice the, 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 next, the contrast. Look at the rest of 16. But the free gift, see, but, that's the contrast, but the free gift, which came from many offenses, resulted in justification. Justification, just as if I never sinned. God, how do you see me? I'm now justified by your grace, by the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't see your sin anymore. 
Your sins are forgiven. We'll talk about that a little later on. Also notice in 17, we just saw the result in 16. Notice the reign of the effectiveness of sin and of grace in 17. For if by one man's offense death reigned, okay, so death is now reigning in an individual's life, much more those who received abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, that's important, the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. What's going to have control of your life? Is spiritual life going to have control of your life? Or is spiritual death going to have control of your life? But everybody here, look, there's no exception. Everybody here will fall under one or two categories. Either spiritual life is reigning in your life, and here it's called the life of righteousness, is reigning in your life in this, in this paragraph, or it's going to be condemnation. It's going to be death is reigning in your physical life right now. And of course, depending on what condition we're in, when we die or when the Lord comes again, we'll determine whether or not we live eternally or if we die eternally. And so this is so important. In 15, he says, let me show you the contrast. In 16, let me show you the result of it, either justification or condemnation. And in 17, he says, let me show you how you need to be thinking about this today. Who or what is reigning in your life today? That's some of the effects that we see between these two contrasts. But what extent is it? Look with me in 15 again, and let's think about the extent You see in 15, since we've already read it a few times this morning, look at the middle where it says, by one man's offense, many died. When Adam introduced sin, the human race was introduced to what we all that reach an accountable age will experience. Many died. That's the extent. When we look at Romans, the third chapter and 23, we read that all sin... And when we look at the sixth chapter and in 23, we see the wages of sin is death. So we see the extent of sin is that we all do it if we've reached an accountable age and it takes us all the way to death. But then we say, well, what about his grace? Now notice, his grace is offered to all mankind But not all mankind accepts it. For example, in Titus, the second chapter, in 11, in the very beginning of 12, it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And then he says, teaching that. And he teaches the things that we shouldn't do that are unrighteous and ungodly. And then he teaches the things that we should do. And, and, and that is the, the righteous and the sober living. And then he talks about the hope and the zeal that we ought to have in our life. But I'd like for you to notice here, who's doing the teaching? If you look at Titus 2, 11 and 12 and following, you realize it's grace that does the teaching. And so we say, to, to what extent is God's grace offered? His grace is offered to all mankind. But you see, His grace is conditional. Listen, God loves everybody. God's grace is offered to everybody. But not nearly everybody accepts God's grace because God's grace is conditional. There's a doctrine today that it seems to be gaining ground among individuals that kind of surprising who is who's starting to, to believe it. It's not a new doctrine, but it's interesting that it's gaining ground again. It's the idea of universalism. 
This idea that everybody's saved. In other words, God's grace not only appears to all men, but all men have accepted it. Well, when you look in the scriptures of what men and women must do to accept God's grace, it becomes clear all men and women have not accepted God's grace. And so the extent is there. The sin has affected all that have reached accountable age. The grace has been been offered to all, but not all have accepted it. Let's go and look. Uh, let's skip one slide and let's look at the efficacy of, of our shepherd. And, and that word efficacy is the idea of the capacity of producing a desired result. The capacity of producing a desired result. Can our shepherd do it? Can he do what he wants to do? Has Satan done what he wants to do by tempting us to sin and etc.? Let's look at verse 17 again and, and let's think about what is the result. In 17, for if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and the... Notice what they're going to receive. This is very important. They're going to receive through the grace the gift of righteousness will reign in life. So see what's reigning here? A lot of times we just talk about Christ reigning, and that's fine to talk of that. But here he's putting a different emphasis on it. He's saying what I want for you to allow to reign in your life is I want you to allow the righteousness of Jesus Christ to reign in your life. Now that's huge. That's huge. When we think about the power, we have already talked about the power of sin. It leads to death. But what is the power of allowing Christ's righteousness to reign in our life? What I'd like to do is first start out with the day of judgment and then back up to say, what does it look like today? Let's start with the day of judgment. And I tell you, when I read and started studying this a few months ago, I I went home and I told Tracy, I said, this is amazing. I said, have you ever noticed this passage? And you start to put other passages together. And even again, when I was studying it uh, this past week, let's think about, Two things that we've studied this morning, and let's put both of these together now. You and I stand on the day of judgment. If we stand as one that is allowing death to reign in our life, what do we hear? Condemnation. I I, I would love to fellowship you. I would love to bring you in, but I can't. I can't. God's saying, I can't fellowship sin. I can't have anyone or anything that is defiled in heaven. It's just not allowed. It's a place of holiness. It's a place of beauty. It's a place of love. And people that live on this earth that live defiled lives, in the realm of holiness, a defiled life is an ugly life. In the realm of holiness, a defiled life is a lack of love for God. Listen, we can say with our lips that I honor God, but if I'm going to go out and live a sinful life this week on purpose, I do not honor God. And so, so, now, so now we stand there condemned. But what about if we have life of righteousness reigning in us? Well, who's righteousness? First, let's start with the obvious. This is probably no surprise to any of us. We stand there and the Lord says, You've been forgiven, haven't you? Yes. By your grace, God, and by the blood of Jesus Christ, my past sins are forgiven. Now here's the question. What does God see? Christ our judge, 
What do they see on the day of judgment? The gift of righteousness. The gift. The gift of righteousness. Christ doesn't see your righteousness. The Father doesn't see your righteousness. The Father sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ in your life. When we talk about Christ being the substitute for us on the cross, it's not only to take away the guilt of our sins, but it's to see a new creation in us, literally where he sees Christ's righteousness in us. If you're a child of God this morning and you stand before God on the day of judgment, he's going to say the righteousness of Christ that would do good to his enemies, that would forgive quickly. A God who is so compassionate that would reach out to the poor or to the rich. Can you imagine standing on the day of judgment and your judgment be the righteousness of Jesus Christ? And I would think that most of us, our first thought would be, I don't deserve that. I I can't stand and, and take credit for Christ's righteousness. And that's where Christ would say, that's part of the gift. I forgive you of past sins and I look upon you with my righteousness. I can honestly say I can't hardly imagine it. I can understand it somewhat intellectually. But when you talk about a life where life reigns in us, what a gift. What does that look like now? Before I die, before Jesus comes again, what does it look like now to have Christ's righteousness living in us? That's when Christ's righteousness becomes our standard. And even though none of us will ever be perfect, we have a standard that's much higher that says, that's what I want to achieve. I want to be able to forgive the way Christ forgave. I want to be able to some way find the, 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 the courage and the unselfishness to be able to literally say to someone who is killing me, I forgive you. I want to be able to love even those that others may not love. I don't want to be prejudiced. I don't want to, to, to live a fleshly nature. I don't want to let the lust of the flesh rule my life. I don't want the lust of the eyes to rule my desires. I don't want pride to take over. I want God to take over. And that becomes our standard. And someone says, wow, now that's a contrast. You know, in most studies today, where they go through a list of moral questions, that there is hardly any difference in people that call themselves Christians and people who don't. You know why? For a lot of people, there is no contrast. Because even though with their lips they honor God, death is still reigning in their life. Listen, because I sit in these pews on Sunday doesn't mean life is reigning in me. And because I might say that I love the God of of heaven and even say a prayer to him occasionally doesn't mean that the life of Christ is reigning in me. The life of Christ reigns in me when I allow just that to happen. 
Christ's righteousness to reign. We understand what reign means, to be in control, to have power over. When we are submissive and we say, I'm going to go to work tomorrow, and I am not only fine with not being like the rest of the people around me, I don't intend on being like the rest of the people around me. I'm going to go to school tomorrow and I expect for there to be a sharp contrast between those that death is reigning in them and me. Life is reigning in me. And that rain, that rain makes all the difference. But that rain cannot be by our righteousness or by our power. I'd like to take about 10 seconds here to show you in Romans the 5th chapter how many times he tells us of blessings and how it always goes back to Christ. We're not going to read all of these verses, but if you want to scan with me, Romans the 5th chapter and verse 1, we can be justified and we can have peace. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 9, we can be justified. How? By His blood. We shall be saved. How? Through Him. Verse 10, we can be reconciled. How? Through the death of His Son. Also, we can be saved at the end of verse 10. How? By His life. Look at verse 11. We can rejoice in God. How? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Also, through whom? In other words, through our Lord Jesus Christ. At the end of 11, we can have reconciliation. Look at verse 15. It's by grace that we can have, or it's grace that we can have by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ. Look at 17. We receive abundance of grace, and we receive, here it is, the gift of righteousness, and it will reign in our life. But how? Through the one, Jesus Christ. And look how this whole chapter ends here, or or nearing the end, and where we'll end today. Look at 21. So that as sin reigned in life, even so grace might reign through righteousness. That's talking about through Christ's righteousness. To what? To eternal life. How? Through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we cry out, we don't deserve that kind of abundant grace. We don't deserve all that's being offered, but there's only one source to get it. And I can't study that without being reminded of where we were recently in our study and hearing another shepherd who also moved to a great point of authority on this earth. He went from shepherding sheep to shepherding people as a king. And you remember in the 23rd Psalm, he said, my cup runs over. He understood grace. And as he spoke of that, he said, to his God, surely goodness and mercy. See, the goodness is the righteousness under Christianity. The goodness is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the mercy is, it coordinates with the grace where we receive so much we don't deserve and other things that we do deserve, we just don't receive it. And he says, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my what? Life. And I'm going to do what? I'm going to live with the Lord forever. Even David knew that if I stay with God, life was going to reign. If we don't stay with God, life is not going to reign. What I learned today, if Christ's righteousness reigns in my life, God doesn't see my past sins. God doesn't see Christ, or God does see Christ's righteousness. And that is abounding grace.
I want to stand on the day of judgment. And I want to have the shepherd of all shepherds to be the one who will have allowed me to stand before him now as my judge and him not see any of my past sins. Because of his blood and God's grace, all he sees is Christ's righteousness. And until that day, I want to live so that his righteousness is the standard in my life. And people out in the streets and the community that I live with and my very family that I'm with, I want them to see Christ's righteousness and a follower of his. This morning, if you don't have that, by the grace of God, it's offered to you. Are you ready, ready to accept that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he's the Savior? Are you ready to repent and, and, and to start a life of living instead of a life of spiritual death? Are you, are you ready to confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and be immersed into Christ for the remission of your sins? Maybe you've begun that journey, but along the way, you've experienced that offense that we've read about a few times this morning, where it's the idea of getting off of a path. And maybe this morning you want to come back to the path. Brethren, we know, we know, out of a crowd this size, if this very moment was the day of judgment, we would not all be ready. Why not this morning? You've been thinking about it for a while. You know it's what you need to do. Isn't it time to allow God to reign? We all could leave here saying, the Lord is my shepherd. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.